Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. So, I said I'm going to be doing a three-part teaching titled what? I can't hear you. Praying by the Spirit. So we are examining in the Word of God the agencies through which the Holy Spirit helps us pray. And I said, first and foremost in the first teaching, that he helps us cry, Abba, Father. So you can call that agency revelation. And now we want to talk about Glosa Lalia, which actually just simply means or describes the phenomenon where you pray in an unknown tongue. That's what Glosa Lalia means, or Glosolalia. But I want to start with a very important introduction, something that you must realize. And you need to pay attention to this. What I'm sharing with you is, true, is truth, but is often perverted. So you have to listen to understand the extent to which this revelation should be stretched. I'm saying that for a reason. Throughout Jesus' early ministry, he taught a lot on faith. In fact, he had a practical session one day, spoke to a tree, to the hearing of the disciples, and the tree dried up. And when they were passing, some time later, you know, Peter saw the tree dried up and he was shocked and he said, Sir, the tree that you cursed is dried from its roots. And Jesus started a teaching from there. Have faith in God. If any man say to this mountain. So he used that tree to start a teaching. As an example to start a teaching. Taught a lot on faith. He preached to the Jews often, regularly. And it looked like he, he struggled to convince them. Yet, on two different occasions, Jesus commended the faith of two different people. The Syrophoenician woman and the centurion. And both of them had one thing in common. They were not Jews. And you wonder, what book on faith did they read to exhibit great faith? Maybe you never asked yourself. The people that Jesus commended as having great faith, what faith book did they read? That a centurion will come to him and say, I have a servant at home who is sick. And Jesus says, because of his dealings every day with everyone else who didn't have so great a faith, he said, okay, I'm coming. He said, what do you mean you're coming? Sir, I'm a man under authority. I say to a servant, go, and he goes. Another one come, and he comes. Speak the word only. Jesus marveled. I'm going to teach on this. I wish I had enough time. There were two categories of people in Jesus' earthly ministry. There were people that had marvelous doubt and people who had marvelous faith. There was a class of people who marveled at their own belief. And there was a class of people who marveled at their faith. You have to choose which side you belong. And he marveled. And you know what he said? He said, I have not seen so great a faith. No, not in Israel. Never seen anybody exhibit faith like this. So now you want to go to that Syrophoenician woman, or you want to go to um, the centurion, the Roman centurion, and ask him, how did you get your faith to this level? Because, you know, I've been going to, through different faith clinics, reading a lot of books, you know, exercising my faith, and you just come effortlessly. You know why? Because in the fabric of every human being, check the default setting of every human being, you will find faith there. Faith is our norm. It is unbelief that is the anomaly. Are you listening to what I'm saying? If you see anybody who struggles to believe, he has done something to himself. 
The Bible says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. He is corrupt in his ways. So because there is a kind of lifestyle that you can only have if you don't have to bother yourself with the consciousness of a God to whom you must be accountable. You want to keep that lifestyle so you, you suppress the consciousness of the divine. And I'm talking about even people who have not heard the preaching of the gospel. He says, Paul described it this way. He says, the invisible things about God are clearly seen in the things that he has created. So man is without excuse. You look at the earth, you look at how it functions. You look at the beauty, the precision, the intelligence in its design. You know for sure that there is a God. It says, so man is without excuse. So how then do some people not believe in God? He says, as they did not retain God in their consciousness. They, didn't they had the capacity to. But they did not. So the Bible says, he gave them up to reprobate mind. This is so powerful. Someone says, what does this have to do with a teaching on tongues? Everything. <laughs> Before I go on, let me give you three examples of what I'm saying. Think of the Ethiopian eunuch. Think of the Samaritan woman. And think of Cornelius. Pay attention, you probably never heard this before. Did it ever occur to you that all three people were already looking for God before God found them? When Philip, by the leading of the Spirit, came close to the Ethiopian eunuch's chariot, what did he see him doing? He was reading Isaiah. He wanted to know. There was a curiosity in his heart. Let me tell you this. Anybody whose heart doesn't pant after God, he did something to himself. Because God doesn't offer hunger. He doesn't make people thirsty. What he offers is water. John 7, 37, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried with a loud voice. If any man, what? Let him come to me and what? So listen, if any man does not first of all test, something is wrong. Because he had the capacity to, he must have suppressed that thirst. The utopian eunuch, nobody had explained to him Christ, the redemptive sacrifice. There was a curiosity from within. He wanted to know. And so from afar, the Lord saw him and walked a miracle, brought a man of God to him to explain. Are you getting what I'm saying? Have you ever preached to someone and it was as if they, they had been waiting for someone to explain? Look at Cornelius. Nobody had preached to him, but the Bible says he was a devout man. He was generous. He and all his house. You know, you just know there's a God out there. We don't really know who, what he's like. We don't really know his name, but the much we know, we will condition ourselves. Are you getting what I'm saying? We will make sure we live with the consciousness of that honor. And now the angel appears to him, says, send for a man named Peter. He will tell you words by which you will be saved. The one that is not as obvious, the Samaritan woman. Maybe you don't understand. Okay, you see a stranger. That's the thing. When we read the story, it is the scandal that gets our attention. Ah, she had five husbands. She can't still have side, side bobo. That's what gets our attention, but there was something deeper. Can I tell you the most important aspect of that story? That, okay, you meet someone, you don't know who he is, but he just drops prophetic gifts. He knows supernaturally how many husbands you have and that you're not living with any of your husbands. Oh, he must be a prophet. 
Ah, I finally get the opportunity to ask some pertinent Bible questions. It never occurred to you. That means she had been studying, she had questions, and she was looking for someone who had the answers. And so, even though it was a little uncomfortable, a stranger is telling me about my marital history, but I'm not going to miss this opportunity. Hey, the Jews say Jerusalem is the place to worship, but our fathers worshiped on this mountain. You're a prophet, tell me, where is the place to worship? And Jesus explained. When Jesus explained, she wasn't really convinced, but she didn't want to be rude. She then said, anyway, the Messiah is coming. When he, so she's anticipating the coming. This Messiah that has been trying to show himself to the Jews, I'm the one, I'm the one, and they did not look. This woman had, she knew all her Bible questions would be answered when the Messiah comes. This same Jesus that had been trying to teach people and they wouldn't listen, someone was looking for him. Can I tell you something? It was that hunger that made Jesus sit on that well. He that is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. It is that thirst. Let me tell you, in every genuine spiritual experience, you and God will meet halfway. Ah. You have to learn this. You and God will meet halfway. So when it comes to maybe a teaching on tongues, for instance, even the best arguments... I have one of, the, I can say with all sense of humility, I have one of the strongest arguments for tongues in the world. If I explain tongues to you and you don't believe, it's because you chose not to believe. It's because you chose not to believe. Yet, there has to be that hunger. Are you listening to me? That desire. Because if your doubt is strong enough, it will still excuse you from the best arguments. Either you want it or not. If you're here and you have not spoken in tongues before, it's the easiest thing. I've done it on Skype. This lady in, in London, just explained to her, as I was talking, I started hearing gnashing of teeth. She was not responding. I said, are you there? She said, yes. Ah. What's going on? Mata kapata kapata. Skype. See, it's the easiest thing for a hungry person. So, see, so many times, you know what the parable of the sower teaches us? It teaches us that spiritual impact is not always about the efficacy of the word. That as viable as a seed is, it still must land in the right place. It won't grow in your cup. It won't grow in the plate. It won't grow on tires. And if you put it in stony places, it will thrive but not as much. If you put it among stones, it will thrive but for a while. So it's not just about how great the teaching is, how great the word is, how great the explanation is. The first question is your heart. What is the condition of your heart? What is the receptiveness of your heart? That's the real question. That's the real question. Hallelujah. Some of the arguments against tongues are so silly. Okay, tongues is not for everybody. I'm not even bothered about how, how they come about that. But can I tell you something? There's a mentality I have. You know, there are some funny people who opine that only 144,000 people will be saved, for instance. Let's assume they were, they were correct. I must be a monk. It's just a mentality I have. That, oh, so only 139,000 something something slots because one is taken. So even if tongues is not for everybody, why must you excuse yourself? 
You, you see how some people, the, the problem is the thirst, the thirst. It's not a doctrine problem, it's a thirst problem. If, if there were only five slots for tongues, I must collect one. Don't you understand? That's what made the Syrophoenician woman a woman of great faith. Because Jesus was not going to budge. Even shaded her, it is not meant for me to give food that is meant for children and give to dogs. Someone would say, eh, all these men of God, they are proud of him. He didn't do that too. He said, eh, even dogs, the crumbs, they can see eat it. Ah! He said, wow! That means great faith does not tolerate excuses. Oh my goodness. Does not tolerate excuses. And when it comes to the things of the spirit, that's the mentality you must have. There must be a yearning, a true desire from your heart for it. That, ah, I must be among. It's for me. You must have the curiosity of Peter. Ah, ah, who is that on the water? Is it you? If it's you, ask me to come. You must have that type of curiosity. You must be ready to try. You must dare to believe the word of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, let me tell you something. If you get what I'm saying, that's all. <laughs> that's all. It's just childlike faith. Childlike faith is all it takes. For a hungry person, That text that says, this sign shall follow them that believe. In my name, they shall speak with tongues. That's, that's enough. <laughs> it is doubt that makes you need so much corroboration. <laughs> eh? In my name? You mean now? Yeah. Ah, that's all. Please, are you getting me? Turn your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, from verse 4. It's about receptiveness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Paul speaking, he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you are enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge. Hallelujah. So it means, say, I'm enriched by him, enriched by him. in all things. Say, in utterance. And in knowledge. See, so many people, they just know, they know Bible, no utterance. Don't, don't choose. If it's all, pick all. If all is available, take all. You can be strong in tongues and strong in orthodoxy. It says in, all, in, in knowledge and in utterance, you are enriched by him in all things. It says even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, I'm going to come back to this, it's so powerful. Verse 7, everybody, read verse 7 together, one, two, go. So that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. This, this is so powerful. Now, uh, I had the privilege to travel for vacation. And, all right, thank you. Well, listen, you know, and the person who was gracious, so gracious and so kind to sponsor that trip, also wanted me to um, go on some tours, some trips, and there were some activities that were part of the package, jet skiing and some other things. But when I went there, sincerely what I wanted to do was just to sleep, wake up, Look at the sunset, look at the ocean while praying in the spirit, sleep again, eat. That's all I wanted to do. So day one passed. I had not gone out. I knew it was bad when the cleaner on the fourth day says, Sir, you don't want to go out? <laughs> I look and say, you, you want to shade me? <laughs> you know what? I was indoors. Just go eat, come back. So, when I had two days to go, 
I looked at the program, all the things that had already been paid for, and I said, it would be very unfair not to go for this. So I did marathon. I said, today, tomorrow, I will do, I will do everything. You know? <laughs> so, um, but here's the point, and I said that to say this. When you know that the time limit for which you can enjoy some privileges would soon expire, you want to take advantage of them more. And think about this. You won't always have the opportunity to pray for the sick because in heaven, nobody will be sick. You didn't hear what I just said. There are some gifts of the spirit that will become useless once we get there. So now he said, as you are waiting for the coming of Christ, he said, don't come behind in any gifts. Use it now. You, are you getting that? Verse 7. He says, so that you come short in no gifts. Eagerly waiting for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the time to use it. This is the time to prove the power of God. Demonstrate all the gifts that he has so generously given. This is the time. Don't waste this opportunity. Don't come behind in local parlance. Don't dull. Stop dulling. Oh, you've not gotten anybody filled with the Spirit before? You've not healed the sick before? Really? You. Bro, what have you been doing with your life? It's so that you come behind in no gifts. Waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's one way to cry Maranatha. That's one way to wait, to occupy until he comes. Ha, ha, ha. Hey. So he will come back to see the dominion of the saints. That's his design. That's his plan. Come behind the no gifts. So you shouldn't be the ones arguing, um, is it just for apostles? Can the whole church? But I don't know why many people will just be praying, praying in tongues. Some say, you know, my temperament. That, that was, that, that, that one weak me. You know, I asked the lady, simple question. I don't have time to give detailed comments on this. Why do you attend this particular church? I said, because um, I'm very quiet personally. So any church, you know, charismatics are too, ah. I say, problem, dude. You, you can't, you're not going to heaven with that. Because heaven is loud. There is great joy in heaven. <laughs> For every... You won't like Jesus. Jesus was loud. Jesus was very upbeat about everything. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried. The first Pentecostal preacher ever. <laughs> Jesus used to preach. <laughs> That's how Jesus preached. Jesus doesn't used to stand in one place and be sharing. No, Jesus was not like that. He stood and cried with a loud voice. He prayed loud. Lazarus! That's Jesus. <laughs> Problem, Dale. <laughs> you don't like it quiet. Ah. <laughs> I'm sure there are quiet places in hell. <laughs> Better be careful. Hallelujah. But are you getting what I'm saying? There has to be a hunger. Of all the reasons you should pray in the Spirit, verse 6 has the most important I've ever seen. You know what it says? It says, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. The reason why many people have never even had any legitimate interest in this gift. It's because they just think, maybe it's just youthful exuberance. These charismatic folks, they like to just walk themselves up of, of a frenzy. They're just too excited about everything. Must everything be shouting? Must everything, is, is it not strange? Does it make sense? They don't really see the importance. But now he says, that in the demonstration of the fullness of the 
package of the gifts of the Spirit. It says the testimony of Christ is confirmed in you. Ah! Let me tell you this, in case no one has told you, speaking in tongues is a confirmation of the testimony of Christ. And let me explain, and this is so important, if the glory of Christ is important to you, this is very important. If the gift of tongues is only going to be available upon the resurrection of Christ, that means the manifestation of the tongues gifts points directly to the glorified Christ. Every time I speak in tongues is a testimony that indeed Christ is glorified. Now that's a huge point. Do you know that no other gift of the Spirit has this testimony? None. You know why? Because people healed the sick before Jesus was raised. People even raised the dead before Jesus was raised. People functioned in prophetic gifts before Jesus was raised. Virtually all the other gifts were available before Jesus was raised. But you see, the gift of tongues, when I speak in tongues, I am proving. Let me show you something. In Acts chapter 2, Oh, glory, 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 glory. Now, this is good stuff, isn't it? Yes, sir. Oh, glory, glory, glory. Rise and shine. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 32. Background of the story. There were 120 people in a room on the day of Pentecost, and all of a sudden... These rascals started shouting. At least that's what people thought they were. In different languages, at least that's what people thought they heard. I'm going to come to that. And some people said, these ones are drunk. You see, many of the objections against tongues today are proof that we're getting it right. <laughs> You say it's so incorrect. It doesn't make sense. In the Bible too, they said they were drunk. There is nothing drunk about going somewhere and hearing someone speak your language. You just be like, ah, you're a bad person there. That's cool. There was more to what happened in that upper room. Are you listening to me? Yes, sir. But anyway, I'm going to go into, into that. So now Peter is explaining. And he comes to Acts chapter 2 verse 32. And look at what he says. He says, this Jesus... As God raised up, of whom we all are witnesses, verse 33. Everybody read verse 33 together. One, two, go. Therefore, being at the right, exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you now see and hear. He's saying these tongues you see us doing, this tongues business is only possible because Jesus is glorified. So that means tongues is a confirmation of the testimony of Christ. That indeed Christ is raised. Because this possibility could only be unlocked by the glorification of his Christ. Say amen. amen. Now that's powerful. Listen, this is enough reason. Any believer who sees an opportunity to demonstrate to the world the testimony of Christ and is still rationalizing, is ignorant. You're ignorant. That's huge. And now, someone picks one text. There's one text. They usually pick, I think, the last two verses of 1 Corinthians 12. And they try to insinuate from that that not everybody can speak in tongues. And there is a simple rule in Bible interpretation. You move from what is known to what is unknown. Isn't that simple? You move from what is known to what is unknown. So I ask a simple question. Everywhere the gift of tongues was manifest in the Bible, 
Did the Holy Spirit ever sideline anybody? No. So in Acts chapter 2, there were 120 people in the upper room. How many of them spoke in tongues? All. Do you know that's a powerful statement? That at the beginning of the church, there was not a single person who wasn't speaking in tongues. That's a statement. At, let me say that again. At the beginning of the church, there was not a single person. All the believers were in the upper room. And the church started in full charismatic strength. The church started in full And that tells us that that's God's plan for the church. In Acts chapter 10, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. In Cornelius' house, Peter was preaching, explaining to them Christ and his, and this confirms again what I'm saying, that the understanding of the resurrection of the Christ and the gift of tongues go hand in hand. As Paul was, as I said Paul, Peter was still explaining these things. The Bible says, whilst he yet spake these words, Acts chapter 10, right? It says, the Holy Ghost did what? Fell on all them that heard. And the Bible says, the people who came with Peter were astonished that, that Cornelius and his entire house were speaking in tongues. Guess what? Even the servants in Cornelius' house spoke. And this is the confirmation of the prophecy of Joel. He says, I will pour out my spirit in the last days upon all flesh. He says, sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. Nobody will be left out. God's charismatic plan for his church is 100% involvement. This palliative must go round. That's, listen, any design, any charismatic perspective that does not accommodate the entire body of Christ is not a New Testament perspective. It was in the Old Testament that only few people, only kings, only judges, only priests, only prophets could flow in these gifts. Joel prophesied about the coming day. We are in that day. He said, I will pour out my spirit upon how many? All, all flesh. All. How then you, do you exempt yourself from all? How? And when he was saying songs, sons and daughters will prophesy, old men will dream dreams, I've heard silly interpretations. Some people think, okay, dreaming is for old people. <laughs> Prophecy is for young people. No, he was being poetic. He was trying to let you know that nobody will be left out. Gender will not be a restriction. Economic capabilities will not be a restriction. He says, servants and handmaiden. So God will not look at your bank account and say, ah, only Andreke, you can't receive Holy Ghost now. <laughs> say, Holy, can you afford it? <laughs> you never buy shoe, you want Holy Ghost. God doesn't do that. He says, servants and handmaidens. He says, men and women. Right? Young and old. No matter your category. It's hard to separate yourself from all those classifications. You must belong to one. Even if you're Bob and it's risky. You must, you must belong to one. What's that? I didn't say I'm just playing. Just playing. He must belong. But I'm serious. If the young man believes what I'm saying, he... Hallelujah. So, is tongues for everybody? Oh, yes. It was. Yes, it is. Every time people spoke in tongues, none was left out. In Acts chapter 8, as Philip went about preaching, everybody he prayed for spoke in tongues. In Acts chapter 18, everybody spoke in tongues. Everybody. Guess what? The entire Corinthian church 
spoke in tongues. <laughs> what else? Come on, man. What else? The entire Corinthian church, they were rich in utterance and in knowledge. Paul had to regulate how they were going about it because they didn't want to preach in English again. That was the problem. <laughs> he had to regulate it. All right? Can I tell you something personally? I would have, rather have a church that is a little extreme that I have to bring back than a church that is not really willing to try. And to think of the fact that in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul already knew that they were abusing tongues, but he first commended them. Maybe it never occurred to you. He first commended them. He knew they were abusing it. He said, I thank the Lord Jesus Christ for you, that you come behind the no gifts, that you are rich in utterance and in knowledge. He thanked God for them. Extremes, yes, but this is good. You just need management. You're young about it, and you know you need a little, you know. I remember when I first started flowing in the gifts of the Spirit, ha, problem. No matter the meeting, prayer meeting, burial, spirit must move. <laughs> ah. Spirit <laughs> will move. <laughs> no matter what we are doing. So now lift your hands. <laughs> so that, that was the problem of the the church in Korea, they just needed maturity. But it's a safer extreme. I'm telling you. Praise the Lord. So everybody gets to participate in this. Does that include you? Yes, Look at Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18. Read together one. Are you there? Read together one, two, go. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Filled. Now you're wondering why the correlation? Drunk with wine, filled with the spirit. Why, why, why the correlation? And could it be accidental that in Acts chapter 2, there was also a correlation? The first time people were found speaking in tongues, some said they are drunk. And let me tell you something interesting. You know, when people are reading Acts chapter 2, Put on your thinking caps and listen. In the Bible, there is a difference between a teaching and what is called an eyewitness account. So, Acts chapter 2, the first few verses until Peter started talking, was not a teaching on tongues. It was a documentation of the report of some people. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, let me say this to you. Has it ever happened to you that something happened? Secondary school folks know what I'm saying. Something happened, and then you try to find out what happened. And it is, the story you're hearing is far removed from what actually happened. There's a way story used to bend as it is transiting. Or you have not, never heard of a news that was very popular but very wrong? You've not heard? heard. Why are you doing like this? <laughs> so pay attention. Just listen carefully to what I'm saying. So in Acts chapter 2, some people claimed that they heard the folks in the upper room speaking in their language. But that's troublesome. That's troublesome. 
Have you ever been in a classroom? Some of you know what I'm saying. When the teacher steps out and everybody is talking. When you're outside the classroom, how many people do you hear clearly? You don't hear anybody. So if 120 people are in a room and they're all speaking, it's not as if it's a recitation. No? They're not reciting John 3.16. They, they are praying, supposedly in different languages. And then people downstairs, and I'm like, ah, 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 ah. Is that not Mandarin? Ah, is that an Ijebu guy now? Now I'm asking you, does that make sense? See, many people don't understand what it means to rightly divide. They think as long as it's in the Bible, you must take it. But the, the devil's words are in the Bible too. So you just take it. So you have to judge carefully. That's where discernment and proper interpretation, the people claimed that that's what they heard. So first objection is this. If 120 people talk at the same time, in fact, I'm not even talking about praying. Praying is even more difficult. If they're just talking, it's hard to hear. Talking less of praying hysterically. And you are able to distinguish the voices. Let me put it this way. If it happened, it was a miracle. Is that simple enough? If they really heard individuals in the upper room, it was a miracle. It was just a sign. God wanted to reveal something. Second thing that is problematic. If you travel out of the country, all right, because something interesting happened, for instance, when, when, when I traveled, some part of me was just looking for black skin. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not racist. But I just wanted kindred spirits. <laughs> and it, it was weird. On, on that entire island, I was the only black. I'm telling you. So, <laughs> when I was returning and I got to the airport, I just saw somebody who wore shirts and Ankara. Ah! <laughs> I said, how are you? <laughs> how are you? <laughs> Oh, I wanted to talk to you, Seth. I was happy to see you. <laughs> Do you understand, Paul? But now, if you're in a strange country and you hear someone praying in your native language, are you going to go, oh. you're going to be like, oh, that's cool. You must be from my country. But are you going to be, hey, what's happening? What's miraculous about that? Maybe you don't understand. Why were the people utterly astonished? Astonished. Why? That's problem number two. Number three, some, and in fact, the way the book of Acts accounts it, it looked like, like a small percentage of people that just said, oh, these ones are drunk. But notice, in Peter's reply, it was only the allegation of drunkenness he replied to. That was the only one he explained. Yes or yes? That says a lot. Meaning of all that was said that happened in Acts 2, what stood out and what Peter acknowledged was that there was some semblance between what they saw as a spiritual experience and then the physical attributes of drunkenness. And that's why Paul also makes the comparison. Be not drunken with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. Are you with me? So now, have you ever seen a drunk person before? In my NYC camp, I saw many. One guy, alone in the market, was marching. No march pass, no soldier. <laughs> I hate to tell you, he was unclad. Hey, 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 hey. I was like, wow. Got her name. So how do you know a drunk person? How do you know? I'm asking. How do you know? 
the, the way they talk, right? What is strange about the way they talk? It's incoherent. What else? The way, the way they act, all right? Some fall down. Some just behave. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 33 again. Acts chapter 2, verse 33. You will see something interesting there that you might not have noticed. All right. It says, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he had shed forth this which you now what? And what? So on that day, what stood out was not what they were hearing alone, but what they were seeing. Meaning the guys, it wasn't just that speech that was strange. It was how they were acting. Is that simple? Uh -huh. So they were... <laughs> ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Have you experienced this before? When it looks like the worship is going on, everything is nice, and all of a sudden, your legs are feeling light, and bam! I remember the first time it happened to me. Fresher in the university, cool guy. Oh, evangelism team is having conference. Oh, that's nice. Let's go now. And then the conference was going on nice. Then one guy just came, so confident. Just put his hand on the lactin like this, looked at everybody and smiled. And he asked one question. He said, are you ready? That, <laughs> that was all I heard to the end of the program. <laughs> See, I kid you not. When they were sharing the grace, they tapped me like this. <laughs> they tapped me like this. Ah, I didn't hear sermon. There was no, I slept throughout. Slept, in quotes. So he just said, are you ready? Boom. <laughs> I was on the floor, pinged. Then they woke me up, time to share the grace. And then people held my hand, the two of them fell, bam. Two other people held my hand, the two of them fell, bam. What, what is all this? My whole body was vibrating. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. This which you now see and hear. Praise the Lord. So the notion that tongues must be coherent. You know, some people say, um, what people are doing that they are calling tongues is rubbish. The gift of tongues is when you travel to China, and then supernaturally, without learning the language, you start speaking Mandarin. You seem like this. That's Japanese. Oh my God. Now, make no mistake, I give no restriction to the possibilities of the Spirit. The Holy Ghost can do that. He can, but that's not tongues. Stop basing your teaching on tongues on what the crowd heard. Let's go to an actual teaching on tongues. Go to 1 Corinthians 14 now. Are you learning anything? No other name in all the earth. First Corinthians 14, 2. Do you believe the word of God? Yes, uh -huh. So now Paul is teaching on tongues. Some base their teaching on what the crowd observed instead of what an apostle taught. So First Corinthians 14, 2. Everybody read together. One, two, go. Hold on, first, 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 first. Do you know that's already profound? Some say tongues is for evangelism. When you go to a country, you don't understand the language, the Holy Spirit will now help you. White man will just start saying, Ekaleo, Ekaleo, Bill, you know, that, that's tongues. Mm -mm. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, 
But unto, he said, but unto who? Why? Read on, want to go? Go. He said, no man understanded him. So, listen. It is either Paul was wrong or the folks in Acts 2 were wrong. Because if they really spoke in tongues in the upper room, nobody is meant to understand. Ah, is that simple or not? He says, if you speak in tongues, no man understands. He says, how be it in the spirit. So, at best, maybe what happened in Acts 2, because I wasn't there. What I do is to compare scripture with scripture. That's what every good Bible student would do. At best, they was, I've heard good arguments. Either they spoke in tongues and interpreted. And the people heard the interpretation supernaturally in their own language. Or there was just a working of miracle. That they were speaking in tongues and people were hearing it in their own language. It's a working of miracle. It's not even interpretation of tongues. Someone says, why? Because do you know what it, it will mean to insinuate that people who were not believers had the gift of interpretation of tongues? There are so many reasons why the Acts 2 narrative is faulty. Are you getting this? He says... How be it in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Mysteries means encoded language, something that needs interpretation. That's why there's another gift called interpretation of tongues, without which tongues cannot be understood. So if I speak in tongues, even if I'm speaking to people, the people will only understand by a gift of the Spirit, another gift of the Spirit called the interpretation of tongues. That's the only way. But if I speak in supposed tongues and the people understand by their natural language, that wasn't tongues. Is that simple? All right, it is. Verse 6. Everybody read verse 6 together. One, two, go. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I shall speak unto you what? By revelation or, or? Meaning, anybody who comes to you speaking in tongues, from a natural intellectual standpoint, it won't benefit you. Because you're not going to understand what he's saying. He's speaking mysteries, but no man understands him. So if I come to you speaking in tongues, it won't benefit you. If I stay in an upper room and I speak, it won't benefit you downstairs. You can't know what I'm saying. The only way you will understand is if I speak by revelation or by knowledge or by doctrine. Tongues is a mystery. It takes revelation to understand. Do you understand? The only way you understand tongues is if I speak to you by revelation or by knowledge you understand what I'm saying? Or by prophesying or by doctrine. It's that simple. Look at verse 7. I'll just read this and then I'll explain. It says, And even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? So listen. There is a way to communicate without language, just by sound. Those of you who did NYC, you know what it means when you hear? I'm still traumatized by that. <laughs> that is the sound of sleep that has been interrupted. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-
There's a way you blow a trumpet and people know, oh, there's good news. But he said, even tongues is not like that. You can't by the sound say, okay, anytime you hear Karo Zoo, that does come. <laughs> tongues is totally different. Let me give you a simple example. When Belteshazzar was chilling with his babes, <laughs> true life story, Daniel 5, and God wanted to judge him, and there was a finger on the wall. The writing was menetekel of a sin. The interpretation was very strange. Did you ever read the interpretation? Let me show it to you. This will help you understand something about tongues. Or let me say supernatural language. Turn your Bibles, Daniel chapter 5, 25, 26, right? 25. And this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, ofasim. And this is the interpretation of each word. Mene means what? Now that's interesting. One word. <laughs> Mene means God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. One word. So, back to 1 Corinthians 14 now. He said, even sounds, it, it doesn't really work that way. If it is not distinctive, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? Verse 8, for if a trumpet, if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare for battle? So likewise, except you order by tongue words easy to be understood. So meaning, if you are speaking in tongues, your words cannot be understood. I mean, he has said that in several different ways. I wonder why this is a debate at all. It's just because we don't have a studious church. I'm not talking about you guys. The body of Christ generally. How can there be a, a whole chapter explaining this and people still have questions in the church? It says, so likewise, except you order by tongue what's easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? It says, for you shall speak into the what? Are you, are you reading your Bible? It says, for you shall speak into the what? So without an interpreter, when you are speaking in tongues, if you are trying to communicate, you are wasting your time. He said you are speaking to the air. Except if you are talking to God. The only way tongues will benefit people is by interpreting. You have to interpret. Hallelujah. Verse 11, therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian. Ah. It's all there. Oh. Maybe you're probably surprised. Ah, how come I never saw it? It's all there. If I, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian to me. Verse 14. Very simple. Everybody read verse 14 together. Loud as you can. One, two, go. Read it again. Read it again. It doesn't get clearer than that. If I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, my understanding is unfruitful. So the only realm where it makes sense, where it is coherent, is the spirit realm. If you are speaking in tongues and people without the spirit understand you, you are getting it wrong. What many people, your doubt is driving you to desire is the opposite of the real thing. You know, some people, <laughs> I'll never forget the day I was praying for someone in school. The, pa 
power had hit in a palpable way. Her teeth was gnashing like this. Oh, yeah, speak now. <laughs> God, I say, wait till they'll call. Because you want to be coherent. Guess what? The fact that you don't want, I mean, what you're saying sounds like rubbish. That's proof that you're getting it. Yes. See, when you are speaking in tongues, you are barbaric to the normal intellect. He said it. Hmm? Barbaric. To the normal intellect. By normal intellectual observation, he says, my understanding is what? Unfruitful. Please, is that clear enough? So tongues is communicating through utterance, words that only make sense by the Spirit. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, I say thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and let me tell you this. He said, these signs will follow them that believe. In my name, they will speak in new tongues. They will speak with new tongues. It comes with the advent of the Spirit. If you are born again, you already have the Spirit in you. What happens when you pray in tongues? Or that you begin to pray in tongues? It's just a stare of what you already have. And sometimes the stare you need is just understanding. It's just understanding. Because in the realm of the spirit, it's possible to have something for long and not know. You didn't even know you were capable of it. Peter had been a fisherman or throughout his career walking on water never occurred to him until he saw someone do it until he had the invitation says, come and like I told you God and man must meet halfway God did not just carry him oh you want to walk on water just carrying him from the boat mm. and the disciples were like mad that's not what happened he took steps of faith he that is thirsty, let him come to me and what? So the problem is not supply. The problem is you have not approached. You have not approached. The invitation is there. Come. And so Peter got up, which is what you're going to do. You're going to stand up and you're going to, you know, release your faith. You said this sign follows them that believe. I believe. So I've got it. And in the name of Jesus, I put my doubt out of the way. Now it's tough because you are, mind you, from your intellect, you are going to speak rubbish. Intellectually, I'm telling you. But you know, it's not as if you are premeditating that, okay, what, which one do I say next? Caro. Caro, you know. Do you understand? You, what the Holy Spirit does is he gives the utterance. And that utterance is not like you will see a screen and you will see, you know, for some it's dramatic. For others it's not. You're going to flow with it. All right? You're going to flow with it. In this atmosphere, if you want it, drink. Drink. Thank you, Jesus. I want to show you something. 
Turn your Bibles, Luke 11. Thank you, Lord. Luke 11. Verse, 11, verse 10. Let me start from verse 9. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And everyone that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Look at this, verse 11. If a son ask for bread of any of you who is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? <laughs> you know what that means? When I saw this for the first time as an undergraduate, I reckoned that it is impossible to ask for the infilling of the Spirit and not receive. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.